Thank you, Katie, for this uh, beautiful, beautiful art, uh, beautiful drawing. Thank you so much. Very talented. You don't want to see me drawing anything. Um, we just would like to um, also tell you that uh, today, the music that uh, uh, Mr. Taylor Rawls is playing is uh, the offertory, the postlude. Uh, all this music have been given uh, to Mr. Taylor by Frederick Bacon So all this music that you're going to be listening to that, that he's playing today is being given by our, our friend Frederick. Um, I would like, I'd like to start today by telling you a story that um, happened not long ago. Sounds like yesterday. But when I was a little kid, somebody came to the house. And uh, by looking at my parents' expressions, in their, the expression in their face, in their faces, I saw that something really wrong was going on. And uh, I don't remember exactly my age, but I, I remember a little bit of the details. As our friend, little Mark, or Marquinhos as we call, he comes to the house and knocks at the door. I hear that my mom rushes to the door, my dad as well, just right behind her. And that the conversation is not a very pleasant conversation. And we, we know that something is really, I know that something is really wrong. And uh, very quickly, I came to find out that uh, our friend Marquinhos, or little Mark, he's telling my family that he was driving by a place where he recognized the car that belonged to my uncle. And he recognized that this car had been in a very bad accident. And I hear right away that uh, my mom is saying, wasn't my daughter, my sister in the car, Debbie? And uh, things were not going well. My sister is in the car. There's this bad accident, and we have no idea exactly uh, of w w what's going on. And uh, our friend, little Mark, Marquinhos, he's telling the family, you, you, you better find out uh, because uh, for what I saw, this was a really, really bad accident. Not long after that, another friend of ours, they, he comes to, to the house and he knocks at the door again. And uh, this is, uh, was one of our friend Lucas, not our friend Lucas here, but it was another friend, Lucas. And he knocks at the door and he says, Mr. Dovacchio, Mr. Dovacchio, I was driving at, at this specific place and I saw a, a bad accident and I recognized the car. Isn't this car that looks like this? Uh, your brother's car. And my father, yes, did you see that too? What was going on? And this man is going on to say that uh, it was a bad accident and he, he doubted that anybody survived from that accident. And that that accident was nearby uh, our local city's airport. This is actually the picture of our local city's uh, airport. I know it well. I used to fly around with my friends in there. It's a beautiful place. Uh, lots of green around, and uh, we knew that there was a road that passed by, and we knew uh, exactly where the place of the accident was. And then for things to get a little bit more complicated, somebody else comes at the door and start knocking, and uh, the third messenger comes. And this was our friend Matt. 
and he comes and knocks at the door, and uh, he's calling my dad's, uh, my dad's name, Mr. Del Vecchio. Uh, I, 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 too, saw this accident. It was a horrible accident, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but um, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, the accident was so bad that an airplane fell on the roof of the car that I believe your brother was driving, and nobody survived. And as a little kid, I'm just looking and observing all that that's going on and trying to figure out exactly what's happening there. And uh, by the way, this is not a picture of, my, of the accident, so that you know we don't have the picture. But we, we're receiving all this information, and we, we are all puzzled about what, what is really going on. And all these people, they're claiming that somehow they were some kind of eyewitnesses. They, they either saw it or heard or passed by. They're either making assumptions. But one thing we know for sure, we need to find out exactly what is happening. Today I want to talk to you about Jesus as the light of the world. And I'm going to rely heavily on the Gospel of John. But before we get to the Gospel of John, you may not agree with me on this one, and if you don't, that's totally fine. But before we get into the Gospel of John, I want to talk about the other Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. Because I am a firm believer that all these Gospels, they were very, very cultural. They were talking about Jesus in a way that a specific community in a way that a specific group of people would understand what it meant to actually talk about the Lord Jesus and all these stories about the Lord Jesus that, remember, they were just at this time just circulating around. The Gospel of Mark, as uh, we have already talked about it, is probably the very first gospel that was ever written. There are some questions about that, that people discuss that. But... Um, all these three Gospels, they are very, very, very similar. And they call the Synoptic Gospel, or the Synoptic Gospels, or the Synopsis of the Gospels. If you, if you get a story and if you check in all three Gospels, you see that they're very similar. Sometimes they happen at different places, but it, they're very, very, very similar. And interesting enough is that the Gospel of John, they are, it, it, it's not part of the Synoptic Gospels. It's a completely, completely different Gospel than all other three. Extremely different. So that's why I want to talk a little bit about those three Gospels before we get to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of Mark presents Jesus in a very interesting way. Jesus is seen in, in, in many different ways that I would like to share with you a little bit. Um, and in here you can tell Jesus the gift of God. The very first Gospel ever written, this Gospel was probably written in Rome, this gospel has a very interesting version of uh, how divorce may be initiated. And very different from the Jewish customs, in the Gospel of Mark, apparently it seems that women may initiate divorce in the Gospel of Mark. You're never going to find this in the Gospel of Matthew because it's more Jewish. It's quite interesting the way these stories are presented. Some scholars, they say that the Gospel of Mark is the source of all the other Gospels. In one way or another, they were looking at each other, kind of copying or hearing the very same um, oral stories about Jesus and Mark is the, probably the first one to ever write it down. The Gospel of Mark has this interesting series of trees, 
number, it, it happens, everything happens in, in, in trees there. Uh, the death of Jesus is predicted three times. Peter is denied, the Peter's, Peter denies Jesus three times in the Gospel of Mark as well. There are three opinions about Jesus. Who do you think the Son of God or Son of Man is? Pilate asks Jesus three questions there. So you can see this literary style, this pattern all over the Gospel of Mark. There is a messianic secret in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is constantly telling everybody, please do not tell anybody what I just did to you because my time has not come yet. Quite interesting in the Gospel of Mark. Some people say that maybe the Gospel of Mark is just a collection of the, the, the sermons that Peter was preaching around and the John Mark was writing them down and saving these stories, these messages, these uh, sermons that he was preaching. Many different ideas about it. Jesus is presented as a man of action. The Messiah, the son of David. And very common in the Gospel of John, Jesus is also presented as the son of men. Very, very predominantly in the Gospel of Mark. A very poor Greek. The word immediately repeats 42 times in the Gospel of John. If you start reading the Gospel of John from chapter 1 to chapter 9, you're going to run out of breath. Jesus is doing something and immediately he jumps on a boat and immediately he gets on the other side and immediately as he gets out of the boat, he starts preaching and immediately after that he gets into another boat and he's moving in all the time. Jesus is a man of action. He never, never stops. But when you get into chapter 9 of the Gospel of John, time seems to slow down. Mark is rushing you through into the passion story and when you get into the beginning of the passion story of Jesus, everything slows down. And all the details start coming in. A 24-hour day, 24 hours day now goes long. Sometimes you feel like this is a, like three or four days happening in one day. So many details about the passion of the story of Jesus. The disciples are seeing the Gospel of Mark as men that have no faith at all. If you read the Gospel of Mark trying to forget about the other Gospels, at the end of the Gospel of Mark... You probably will have a question if you're reading very carefully. Is this gospel ever, will ever be preached to the world? The disciples, they don't know anything. They have no clue what's going on. And by the end of this gospel, you're not sure if uh, the message of Jesus Christ will ever be preached. A little bit of the gospel of Matthew the Gospel of Matthew, as you saw that in the slide, let's see if I can go back here real quick. The Gospel of Matthew has a huge emphasis on the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And Matthew is very careful, or most of the time he's very careful, of how he's going to use all these Old Testament stories and prophecies about Jesus. And he wants to make sure that the reader of his Gospel will understand that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah the one that was supposed to come, the one that was going to fulfill all the Jewish costumes and laws and prophecies that, was, that were preached about him. So Matthew is crazy about fulfillment of prophecy. You can hardly turn one page, one chapter to another without seeing Matthew telling you, oh, did you see? Did you hear what prophet Isaiah said? Did you hear what prophet Micah said? This is in fulfillment of the prophecy. You're going to see that a lot in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Matthew, I'm sorry written to a Jewish community. 
a lot of the use of kingdom of God instead of kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. Very particular about the way he says certain things. The genealogy of Jesus, right in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, he goes all the way back to Abraham and David. Why is he doing that? He wants his readers to know that Jesus is connected with Father Abraham, with King David. So he's writing to this Jewish people for them to accept Jesus, and he's saying, can you see it? Jesus is from our own people. Jesus is the Messiah that was supposed to be coming. And all these prophecies being fulfilled. The way he organizes his gospel, the three groups of 14 generations each. If you are a Jew in the first century and you're reading the gospel of Matthew, you will recognize something very interesting. It's like reading the laws of Moses, the Pentateuch, the way he organizes the Old Testament laws of Moses. You see that the patterns are very similar in the Gospel of Matthew. It sounds like you're reading the first five books of the Bible, the first five laws and the first five books and the ways that uh, the first five books were written. Matthew talks about the blessings on the poor in spirit when Luke talks about blessings to the poor. Some people say that the Gospel of Matthew is probably about 90% of the Gospel of Mark. Fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, as I already mentioned. The, the image of the disciples is a little bit more softened. The disciples, when you, for example, if you think about the story of Jesus is stealing the storm, in the Gospel of Mark, these are men that have no faith. If you read the Gospel of Matthew telling the same story, you will find out that Matthew... The Jesus of the Gospel of Matthew is saying, Oh, men of little faith. And if you go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke will ask, Where is your faith? I wish I could talk more about that, but it's quite interesting to see how they use the stories of Jesus to kind of get a point across to every single one of these nations that these Gospels are going to. The only Gospel to use the word church. Jesus is portrayed as Messiah, son of Abraham, son of God, son of man as well. A little bit on the Gospel of Luke, the power of the Spirit. We don't know much about the author. Uh, it's not in the, in, the, in the book itself, but we know that probably was Luke who wrote the, the Gospel of Luke and the, the book of Acts as well. This book is addressed to Theophilus. It's... Um, Very interesting the way this book is addressed. And probably Theophilus was a man that was doing a little research. And we're going to come back to that uh, very soon about the, the, the book of Luke. Gentile by birth, this is Luke. Well educated in Greek culture, a physician by profession. Much assumption is about uh, his interest in healing. So a lot of people say, oh, he was a doctor. He was an MD, some kind of MD. Um, he, he's incredible in his writings of the Greek language. And some people believe that he was not only educated as a doctor, but in science, geography, and history. When Luke is writing his gospel, it's incredible the way he understands so many different things that are going on in the world of Jesus. And he writes that very powerfully. Uh, a, a very well-educated man when he's writing his gospel. A little bit more on Luke. The Gospel of Luke presents this salvation that is not only available to Jewish people, it's available for everybody that comes in contact with the name of Jesus and accepts Him. The Gospel of Luke is a book that has much emphasis on prayer, especially Jesus praying before important occasions. When the 
when you go to Luke chapter 4, you see the announcement of the good news of the kingdom of heaven that is now available to all the world. Women are very, very, very important here in the gospel of Luke. And the, Luke was probably a companion of Paul, and you see the way that Paul portrayed and, and uh, uh, dealt with women in all his writings. And Luke, uh, he puts a special emphasis on women as well. Women are seen highly in the gospel of Luke. Special interest in the poor, like we talk about it. And um, let's move a little bit faster here. Concern for the sinners, distress on family circles. There's a story about the mother of Jesus coming and talking to him and Jesus dealing with his brothers and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, of course, much emphasis on the Holy Spirit, much different from all the other two Gospels. The genealogy of Jesus is seen in the Gospel of Luke going back all the way down to Adam, different from Matthew that goes back to Abraham and goes back to King David. And the reason Luke, writing to this Gentile community, is doing this is because, you know, you don't have to be a Jew in order to be saved. Because, you know, we are all sons of Adam and Eve. You know, and now he's speaking to a different community entirely, and he's using the power, powerful teachings of Jesus to tell them. Um, the only gospel that contains the parable of the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, course, a Jew would never tell you that the Samaritans are good, and Luke does. He doesn't care. He's a, he's a Gentile. Uh, he probably took a little delight of saying that Samaritans were good people. Uh, but a, gen, a, a Jew would never do such a thing. So that's why you find this story in the gospel of Luke that Matthew didn't want to deal with. Uh, the identity of Jesus, he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. It's only found in the gospel of Luke. And the theme of the servant is is found also in the Gospel of Luke, different from all the other Gospels. There's a time when you're reading, for example, the Acts of the Apostles, also written by Luke, that you come, to, you come across the story of the eunuch. Remember, he's traveling, and uh, Philip comes to him, and he's reading which book? The book of Isaiah, which chapter? 53. And then from that point on, if you have two Bibles, if you, if you move back to the book of Isaiah, and you put your finger right there, put your hand there, not to lose the page, you will see that the book of Acts, from that point on, every chapter, every section that that gospel moves from in the book of Acts, you can pretty much compare chapter by chapter with the book of Isaiah. The next story has to do with Isaiah chapter 54. The following story, the, the, the Isaiah 55. The following story, Isaiah 56. It's incredible how Luke relies so much on this image of Jesus as, as a servant, all being fulfilled in, in, um, in his gospel. So quite interesting to see. So finally, we arrived at the gospel of John. And the gospel of John is known as, of course, portraying Jesus as the light of the world. And I would like to share you something, share something with you here that I think it's quite interesting. Remember, the Gospel of John is very different from all the other Gospels. Let's talk a little bit about what John is dealing with here in his Gospel. The story of Nicodemus is unique in the story and in the Gospel of John. The woman at the, the well, you're not going to find that story in any other Gospels in, in your Bible. The story of Lazarus being resurrected, you're never going to find that story in any other Gospels. It's unique in the Gospel of, uh, of uh, John, and we're going to talk about that. Jesus, as presented as the good shepherd, by definition back then, the shepherds were so marginalized, there was no such a thing as a good shepherd. 
They were the bad boys hanging out late at night and stealing stuff from people's backyard. And now, why is he using this language as Jesus, the good shepherd? Uh, quite interesting, very cultural, the way that John is organizing this gospel, the way Jesus is speaking to his community. Maybe in our days, Jesus would say, Jesus is the good pilot, or I don't know, a good nurse, the good physician. But back then, that was the language that they were using. This is very important. The Gospel of John was probably written to a community of Christians that they have now been excluded from the synagogue. It was time for them now to leave. It was time for them now to forget about the Jews. They have not accepted Jesus Christ or they have not accepted everything that we have accepted about Jesus Christ. It's time for them to leave now. And the Gospel of John is a little bit of an encouragement or some kind of um, a writing to comfort these people that, yes, they can do that. It's time for them to leave. They have nothing to do with the Jewish people anymore. This gospel is very Hellenistic. We're going to talk about very soon what this means. A lot of philosophy, philosophical concepts in the gospel of John. Platonism, Stoicism, and Gnosticism. We're going to talk a little bit about that. John, apparently, he's living in a community that is dealing with all these kind of things. Plato, Stoicism, whatever that is. We're going to talk about it a little bit about it. Uh, Gnosticism. Uh, quite interesting that John is dealing with a total different community. We're going to get back to that. The most Hellenistic gospel and least Jewish an incredible easy grammar for those that uh, try to read Greek. That's why we study in the seminary because it's very easy, and, and, you know, when we go to college and study Greek. Re easy to read, easy to understand. And the Gospel of John, from beginning to end, is dealing with this dualistic thing. It's always about light and darkness, and it's about uh, what comes from above and what comes from below. The spirit versus the flesh. Life versus death. Truth versus what is false, what is wrong. All these language, all these things, they are heavily found in the Gospel of Luke. Heaven and earth, God, Satan, good, evil. You see that this dualism taking place all the time in the Gospel of John. And we see that because, of course, uh, John is dealing with a specific community. The Logos, the Word of God, is Jesus Christ. You're never going to find a genealogy in the, gospel of, in the Gospel of John about Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, please don't tell anybody about me. My time has not come yet. In the Gospel of Matthew, oh yeah, he is, he, he's from the lineage of Abraham and King David. In the Gospel of Luke, he's the son of Adam and Eve and all those of the above. But in the Gospel of John, there's no question. Jesus has no origin in this world. He's God, and he decided to come to this world. An incredible way that John presents Jesus from beginning. He's God. Deal with it. There's nothing to hide here. There's a, big, a, a little bit of problem in the Gospel of John because back then they were so bombarded by these philosophical ideas and Platonism and all this kind of stuff that uh, it's clear reading back in history that... Uh, According to Plato, being, being, according to Plato, Plato, is one thing. And coming into being is another thing. 
And you see that John is going to try to convey a message to these people that, yes, even though Jesus is, is human, and even though he came from God, he's going to, of course, say that, uh, yeah, he's God. So he's going to have to deal with these kind of things. We're going to go back in a minute to talk about it. Light, darkness coming into being from light. The, the, the word world or cosmos, as it's translated in the Gospel of John, is huge. A lot of action about the world. And uh, if you're suffering in my class at last year Academy, we're talking a lot about uh, what it means, the world of Paul, the world of the apostles. And uh, sometimes we say, oh, it's the whole world. And back then in the first century, their whole world was probably the Roman Empire that they're dealing with. When you talk about Paul, Paul starts his first missionary journey. He goes from Jerusalem to Antioch and from Antioch to Cyprus. From Cyprus, he goes up north again. He goes to Derby, Lystra, and Iconian. And then he goes back and he travels about a couple thousand miles right there. And then when he comes back from Jerusalem, he goes again. Jerusalem and Antioch and Cyprus. And he goes back and forth in Lystra and Derby. And he's going all over the place. And now he extends a little bit, a little bit farther. Second mission journey. And then the third mission journey, he goes all the way to Athens and Greece and all the way to Asia. And then he comes back again to die in Jerusalem because the Spirit told him he has to go back there. Thousands and thousands and thousands of miles that this guy is either walking or God knows how he's traveling all these distance. Every place he goes, he takes a beat and uh, stands up. He's not dead. And he goes to the next, next town and preach the Word of God in there. But this world, this cosmos, is kind of small. Today we say we have to preach the gospel to the whole world, but our, our world is a little bit different than the world of the first century. And, of course, we know that with Paul and uh, with the apostles, the gospel was eventually taken to the whole world. And thanks to Paul, we have Christianity here in America today and South America and all around the world. But the, world, the, the word world is extremely important. What does John 3.16 says? God so loved the world that he gave his... You know the text. The, wor the word world there is so important. But the same gospel of John says that the world or the cosmos hated him. And he also suggests that you should not, you should not love anything that is from the world. So... <laughs> It's a little confusing here. So what is this playing with words with the world? God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, but now don't love the world. And sometimes we as Christians, we take that literally, and uh, if we don't agree on the same uh, points of doctrine, we start hating everybody, isn't that right? Oh, we've got to convert that guy there. He doesn't, you know? And uh, quite interesting that the way people read scriptures. The Synoptic Gospel, the first three Gospels, they, when they talk about characters, oh, that guy, the tax collector, we don't know much about the characters. But when you go to the Gospel of John, you have an entire chapter about Nicodemus interacting with Jesus. You have an entire chapter about the Samaritan woman. You know everything, every detail about this woman's life. You know everything about Lazarus. You know they're good friends of Jesus and Martha and Mary. They go there and Jesus hangs out with them and hangs out with them. You know so much more in the characters, of the characters in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John deals a lot with this big, fancy word, Hellenism. And for you to understand what it is, I was born and raised in South America, Brazil. I came to this country about 15, 16 years ago with my wife that is also a Brazilian. At home, we speak, English, we speak Portuguese to our, to our kids. 
But it's kind of interesting that my daughter now is a little bit kind of, she speaks fluently Portuguese, but she's speaking more and more English. And sometimes I do certain things that she does not understand. She's like, Dad, why are you doing that? Because she's already learning that the way I do certain things, it's not the American way. It's not the way she's picking up her education as she goes to school. What she's learning from her friends, she's already picking that up. Especially how I make stop signs. But anyway, that's not the case. <laughs> uh, so Hellenism is nothing but my daughter. She is Brazilian. Her mother is Brazilian. Her father is a Brazilian. But because she lives in this country now, she, she has a different culture. You, you can say she's American because she was born in here. But you can tell that, you know, our first Bible, the other day we gave, we gave Gabby her very first Bible. We took pictures and everything, you know. And then, and then it's very pinky and there is a lot of, you know, the glitter all over the place. Anyway, that's another story. But do you think that her Bible was in Portuguese? No. It was in English because she does not know how to read Portuguese. And it's funny when she tries because she's reading with this uh, English grammar on the background. And she, start, she's, she speaks Portuguese just fine. But when she's reading uh, Portuguese, it sounds like, uh, you know, it's very funny the way she pronounced certain words. What does the word mean? I'm like, Gabby, this is what it is. Oh, why didn't I say it? Why didn't I write properly? It's kind of funny the way she deals with it. So Hellenism is pretty much that. She is being exposed to a different culture, a different language different ways of doing things. So back then in the first century, when you have Hebrews, a little bit before the first century, when you have these Hebrews, these Jews, they speak a different language than now their kids are growing up with. And that's, of course, Greek. Their customs and their ideas and their philosophies, they're bombarded by those things. So Hellenism is huge in the audience and the community that Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with people now that they speak a different language. He's dealing with people now that they understand the world a little bit differently than uh, the parents and grandparents dealt with. So John is going to try to use all that words to convey a message. Gnosticism is huge also in the Gospel of John. The emphasis on the spiritual instead of the emphasis on the physical. Stoicism is also incredibly found all over the pages of the Gospel of John. What I'm trying to tell you here is that you, if you read a little bit carefully this Gospel, and if you read a little bit careful the story of the first century, especially the year 110 and 125, you will see that the Gospel of John was, you know, primarily written for a specific group of people that had a specific way of thinking and talking about things. Quite interesting. A lot of people are scared of the, world, the word cultural, but extremely, extremely cultural, the way they talk about certain things. Anyway, let's move a little bit faster. The narratives, differences between the other Gospels. The, uh, John is dealing with something very important here, that Jesus is pre-existence. Again, life versus death, light versus darkness, light versus darkness. Coming into the world, the world is a place that is not good Jesus is born from God. There's so many things there about John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. In the other Gospels, when John the Baptist finishes his Gospel, Jesus starts his. In the Gospel of John, they are, they are preaching all over the place and they're making disciples. And there was one time in the Gospel of John that John moves back and says, he's, he's bigger, he's greater. Follow him, go join him. That's in the Gospel of John. So different from the other Gospels. Law comes from Moses, but grace and salvation comes from Jesus. 
this whole theme about seeing and knowing the story of the blind man. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. Let's move a little bit faster here. Again, other themes that are found in the book of John, the descending and the ascending Redeemer. Words about heaven, of angels, they, 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 they can get in and out of heaven, and Jesus can as well, coming to this dark world. When you talk about the story of Nicodemus, it's quite interesting, the translation of the word there, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you have to be born again or born from above. They mean the same thing, and they go on a huge discourse about that kind of stuff. Quite interesting. Probably what Nicodemus was told by Jesus is that he had to be born from above, not again, even though the translation of the words are exactly the same. But by the context, that's probably what it is. Jesus is going to be lifted up. What, what does that mean? What does it mean, crucifixion in the Gospel of John? Resurrection in the Gospel of John? What does that mean for that kind of audience? What does it mean that Jesus has to go back to the Father and be lifted up? No one has seen the Father but Jesus. Why is he using all that kind of language? Knowing versus seeing, the oaring of Jesus. You cannot go where I am going. And the Gospel of John presents a lot of signs, not many miracles or Maybe no miracles at all. It's just a bunch of signs pointing to something. No demons, no exorcism in the Gospel of John. It's kind of interesting. If you go to Brazil, the Seventh-day Adventist pastors, they're trained on how to, you know, do exorcism there. I've, I've seen it. Here in America, you kind of, you kind of, I've never heard anything about it. It's quite, quite interesting that still in this world, there's so many things going different places that uh, here it's so different. So anyway... Um, a little bit of sectarianism, we're going we're gonna to skip that, but uh, the story found about the blind man in the Gospel of John chapter 9, how were, you, how were your eyes open? Where is he, this Jesus? And the, the, the words that uh, this man that was just healed of blindness, he, it's all over the Gospel. I do not know. I now see. That's what I know. We know that he was blind. We do not know where this Jesus comes from. I can see now if he's not from God, you know, where is he from then? I came into this world, said Jesus. So those who see may become blind. Here's darkness again and seeing and dark. And those who are blind, they may see. A lot of people say that uh, the Gospel of John was about uh, a huge division that was taking place in the church. Up to the time of the Gospel of John, Jesus was a man of action, a prophet, a healer, like a guy in a, in a, in a community that can do special, special things. The Gospel of Matthew talks about he might be the Messiah, maybe the Son of God. But the church now is moving to a place where they're stuck. And the problem is, who this Jesus really is? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? a man that came from God. And this is what the Gospel of John is dealing in that community so badly, so heavily. And the question here is the Christological problem, the identity of Jesus. Some people say that the Gospel of John is not very historical, 
But now, nowadays, people are paying more attention that maybe the Gospel of John is extremely historical because now they know that John was dealing with a specific group of people, very theological for sure. I would like to go over some of these Bible texts real quick with you to show you some of this language in the Gospel of John. Can you turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John? We're almost done here. The Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 4. Can you go there with me? The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. Let's read these verses real quick. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. Look at what it says. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood him. Again, John is dealing with light and coming into this world and being the light for this world. And Jesus is coming from someplace else, a heavenly place, from God or the gods, whatever it is, this language that he's using. Jesus is literally out of this world, isn't that right? John chapter 1, verse 6 through 13, look at what it says. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not, what? The light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into this world. Look at the language that John uses there. Verse 10, he was in the world, and through the world was, and, and, through, and, through, the, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to what which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Quite interesting. Many stories about Jesus being the light of the world. Let's go real quick to John chapter 8. And you can see a little bit more of this language. John chapter 8, verse 12 to 20. John 8, 12 through 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witnesses. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, verse 14, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony, is, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. You see this language about Jesus going places in and out of this cosmos, in and out of this world. Quite interesting. John chapter 9, especially verse 5. Look what it says there. John chapter 9, verse 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 12, 35 and 36. John 12, 35 and 36. Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you are, you have the light. Before the darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. Look how interesting all these 
the stories and these languages used here. Again, back to the Christological problem. Who is Jesus? And how is John telling this world with so much philosophy, Gnosticism, and Hellenism, and so much of this confusion that they were going through, what is John using to convey to this world that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God? Today's world, and I have a question for you, where is the place of religion in today's world? What can religion do to people? It seems that we're still living in this world of enlightenment. We live in this individualistic society. I was talking to a, a young man not long ago. His mother saw me down the hall. I had my badge that says student chaplain. And uh, when she saw me, she said, oh, the chaplain, come with me. So I'm always skeptical about those. So here I am following this lady to her son's room. And um, she, she told me, you got to talk to my son. He needs Jesus. And as soon as I walk in the room, the mother said, oh, I have the chaplain here with me. The very first word that came from his mouth was, oh, I'm an atheist. I believe in myself. Quite interesting what this young man said. What does it mean that he's an atheist? What does he not believe about God? If you think about that for a second. And why did he say, I believe in myself? Is that the society, the world that we live in today? I believe in myself. I can do it all. I'm going to be the next American Idol, doing my exercises every day in the morning. See if I can sing a little bit better. What does it, what all that means that we live in this world today? And if we had another prophet today, how would the prophet be writing a gospel that is relevant to North Americans? If we had another prophet coming up in South America, how would this prophet be writing a book according to the beliefs and the ideas and philosophies and uh, all the ideals that these people have in South America? How would he or she be writing to convey a message of Jesus. What are the things that we deal with today? I believe that John is appealing to his community. Very Gnostic, very philosophical, bombarded by a lot of things. And I think that if we apply this principle today, what do you think the principles found in the Gospel of John would be for this community that we live in today. What should we, we be talking about today? Especially to young people. Do we know about their world? Do, do we know about what they think, what is important to them? We f for sure live in a very different world. You know... I didn't tell you much about how the story ended, did I? I have to confess one thing. The first man that came to the door, his name was not Mark. I was just trying to, put a, to get a point across. The second man that came across, his name was not Lucas. And the third one was not Matt or Matthew. I was just trying to prove a point here, to get a point across. But let me ask you real quick. If I ended up becoming a very famous man one day, 
thousands of hits on YouTube and all that kind of stuff, Facebook and social media. And suddenly I die, and now you look back and say, oh, that guy, he was one of the pastors in my church. Let's write a book about him. What do you remember about him? If you were to be writing a book about me, and if you're looking back at this story, oh, yeah, I remember, yeah, he told that story about his sister, sister's accident. What would you know or not know about my sister's accident? Did she leave or die? Was it really by the airport? <laughs> really, dude. <laughs> it, because it was by the airport is one thing, but an airplane falling on the car, I mean, that's a little pushy, isn't it, right? What would you know about me? How old was I? Did I tell you? My parents? Do you know exactly where this, place, where this accident took place? If you were like Luke, and if you hear a story like that, Luke is the one that he's chasing these eyewitnesses all over the place. And if you go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to finish with that. Luke 1, 1. If you have your Bibles, look at me. Look, look at what Luke is doing at his Gospel. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, my favorite Gospel, because he does so much research in his Gospel. Look at what he, how he starts his Gospel. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Verse 2, Luke chapter 1, verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and the servants of the word. Verse 3. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me also to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus of the things you have heard about the life of Jesus. So if you'd like to know more about my story, what is true, what is not, you'll find out where my parents live. You'll find out my sister, is she alive? Do you remember the story? How old were you? Where, how exactly happened? What happened to the car? What color was the car? That's what Luke does in his gospel. He's knocking at the door of eyewitnesses. Did you really see him resurrected? Did you really, were you really there when Jesus did this miracle? That's what Luke is doing in his gospel. And I want, to, I want to finish with this. My sister did not die, but it's true. She was in a car accident. Every single person that came at the door and knocked, they knew what they saw or what they heard. They know was true. There was such a thing as my uncle driving the car. There was such a thing as an accident. There was such a thing as a total car. There was such, such, a, such a thing. The car was total. But she was not dead. It was true that the accident took place by the airport, but never true that an airplane fell on the roof of the car and exploded and killed everybody inside of the car. Did the three witnesses were questioned? by the fact that there was an accident? Is there any question there? They knew there was an accident. Did any of them assume the possibility of any survivors in this story that I told you? Did all three know that my family was involved in the accident somehow? They did. What did they see? What did they assume about my sister's accident? My last question to you is, what do we know about the Gospel of John when he says, 
that Jesus is the light of the world in a world in a time when most people, as of today, believed in themselves. I believe in myself. I can do it. And I think that the message of the Gospel of John today is to tell all people outside there in this world that everybody wants to go from ugly duckling to American Idol. I believe that the message that John is trying to convey to his community is never forget who the true light is. Be careful when you trust too much in yourself for being all the source of good in this world. We have to reflect this light, but we never have to forget that this light came into this world. And the Bible says that all those who believe in him in this light will have eternal life. May God bless you as you continue to study your Bible, as you continue to journey with God. And may God bless you that you will understand that uh, our light is very small compared to the light that comes from the Scriptures. It's very small compared to the light that comes from the life and teachings of Jesus. And be very careful. The world out there is encouraging us too much to, to be the next thing. Isn't that right? God bless you. May the light of God, may the light of Jesus continue to shine in your life. Amen.